to the Post Buzzer Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Dyer, and on this March 10th episode, I will be covering GHC sports and a variety of sports news around the league. This is a reminder that the Student Spin Podcast is a sister media to the Six Mile Post newspaper at Georgia Highlands College in Rome, Georgia. The views in this podcast do not represent those of the Six Mile Post or Georgia Highlands College. Listen to us on SoundCloud or through the Six Mile Post website. Now, first I want to talk about how the men's basketball team was able to advance to the GCAA championship this past weekend against South Georgia Technical College and came into the game. It was a pretty even head-to-head matchup and in the waning moments of that game, South Georgia Technical College led by nine points with just over a minute and a half remaining and... Somehow, someway, the Chargers were able to come back from that deficit and be able to tie the game at 79 going into the last 10, 15 seconds of the game. But what the game wound up going into overtime, and ultimately the Chargers wound up being defeated by three points to finish off their season. And they finished the season 21-12, and 12, and they await the selection show to see if their season is over or not. And if this is the last time that we've seen these sophomores take the court that are here, CJ Jacksons and Javis Harveys and the Rosser brothers and Chris Wright, I just want to say thank you guys for everything that you've done while you've been here and all the hard work that you've put in. I've definitely realized it, and so have these fans. And we hope to see you play come next weekend in the NJCAA National Tournament. And also this past weekend, the women's basketball team was able to capture their district championship over Spartansburg Methodist. And now they find themselves as the number three seed in the NJCAA National Tournament, where they will have a first-round bye, and they'll play their first tournament game next Friday at 5 p.m. And they'll play the winner of the matchup between Casper College and Hutchinson College. And the Lady Chargers enter the postseason 29-2, and winners of 27 straight games, including four straight wins against conference rival South Georgia Technical College. But they beat in the GCA championship two weekends ago, and they also made the NJCAA national tournament as the ninth overall seed. And moving over to baseball, they continue their hot start to the season. They're ranked number 15 in the country now, sitting at 20-2, and two, tied for the most wins in the NJCAA this season. And it's going to be a busy week for the Chargers as they plan on playing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday all at home. We'll see whether the weather is going to affect that or not. I know I think it's supposed to snow Saturday, so we'll see what kind of factor that plays into it. And after that stretch, they'll head into their conference schedule and take on Andrew College on March 22nd. The softball team is still struggling, sitting at 6-16 six and 16 on the season and currently sit with a six-game losing streak. And they'll look to bounce back in their doubleheader Sunday against Wallace State Community College Hentzville. In other sports news, it's something I really want to talk about first is this whole Brittany Griner situation where she was arrested in Russia. And basically, if you haven't read anything on it, Brittany Griner, who she is, she's a seven-time WNBA All-Star, one of the biggest names in the WNBA right now. She was able to make a big name for herself at Baylor. I've seen a bunch of highlights on her. She became really big on YouTube and Twitter whenever she was playing because a big thing with her was she was able to dunk the ball a lot, something that casual 
like NBA fans won't realize the real significance of. But basically what happened was on February 17th, she was arrested in Russia because she was carrying vape cartridges that contained hashish oil. If you don't know what that is, that's basically cannabis oil or THC oil that's perfectly illegal here in the United States. I just don't know if she knew that it was illegal over there in Russia and with high intentions with them in Ukraine going on. Other than they probably have a new set of rules with stuff and what they can and can't allow into the country. But for some of you, this might be the first time you're hearing about this. And I just want to know why this story isn't being publicly brought about the way that it should be, because this is clearly something that's a big problem when it comes to African-American female athletes, is that if someone in the NFL like Tom Brady or Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow was to be arrested in Russia, it'd be all over the news. You'd hear all about it. But right now, this is a WNBA player, and you're not hearing almost anything about it. And that's really something that is a big problem here. And it needs to be something that needs to be fixed. I think it shadows how we view women's sports and how we cover women's sports as a society. It shows an example of how little the U.S. government will take control when it's somebody that they really don't care about or someone that's not bringing in the most revenue. Which, I mean, it's sad that the WNBA don't bring in the revenue that they should these athletes play their heart out every single day that they have in every training session some of them even play overseas and they're trying to commit to this game and they're not really making money on it well they're making money on it just not a whole lot of money basically compared to other sports leagues and i think that's played a factor into why the united states government has kind of been off about even trying to step and get Brittany Griner out of jail over there. And while I do have you, I want to commend Senator Colin Allred from Texas by saying that he wants to work with the State Department to secure Griner's release. And that's been the only thing I've really heard about this in terms of her actually getting released. And as I said, it's a sad world that we live in that she looks down, she gets looked down upon because she's a WNBA player compared to other sports. And moving over to the NFL, I don't know if you've heard, but it's been all over the news, Russell Wilson trade, where Russell Wilson got traded to the Denver Broncos for Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Font, and the Broncos' first and second round picks in this year's draft and next year's draft. And I think that this shows how important the quarterback position is in today's NFL and how much teams are willing to give up for a star quarterback. Because... If you look across the board of these past two years with quarterbacks, you've seen Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow, all really good quarterbacks be able to get to the Super Bowl. And it's been a key factor in them getting to the Super Bowl is their quarterback playing well. Uh, but in this case and scenario, I don't I understand why the Broncos want to do it and did it. But I don't think this makes the Broncos Super Bowl favorites or even division favorites, in my opinion. I think they still have to get past the Chiefs. They have to get past the Chargers, and they have to get past the Raiders, which the the AFC West is now the best division in football, and I'll debate anybody on that. And their quarterback situation now over there in the AFC West is they have Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. Or no, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr. Justin Herbert, and now Russell Wilson with the Broncos. Now, I think the Broncos gave up way too much for Russell Wilson, but again, I understand why they made this trade. 
I don't think that it's the better trade, though. I think that they could have done what the Commanders did and went and got Washington only giving up two third-round picks. And, yeah, Wentz is not even comparable to Russell Wilson. But Wentz is still a serviceable quarterback. And I think that the Broncos are going to wind up trying to go all in on Russell Wilson and make him the corner piece of their franchise, even after giving away Von Miller this past season to the Rams. And now this is this becomes a question in the NFC of who in the world do y'all have left at quarterback moving forward? The future of quarterback in the NFC is Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray. You could argue with Matthew Stafford, but Matthew Stafford has been in the league for over 10 years now. You have Matt Ryan, who's a top-five quarterback suddenly in the NFC, who might even get traded himself from the Falcons. And then you have Aaron Rodgers, who just signed a four-year, $200 million contract. And now I'm wondering, really, where is where is the quarterback play going to go? Because over the next two or three drafts, there's not really a quarterback that's going to stand out in the draft. We just got done with all these loaded quarterback classes, and all these teams in the NFC came through and pretty much busted on them. You had Washington taking Dwayne Haskins, who was really high, who tried to, they tried to make him the cornerstone of their franchise, and they that didn't work out at all. Daniel Jones is still one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL, in my opinion, right now. Sam Darnold, who's with the Panthers, who could very well be moved this season, after getting benched for Cam Newton during the season last year. I mean, you have all these NFC teams who tried to take these chances on quarterbacks and it just hasn't succeeded. Even looking at Jimmy Garoppolo getting traded over to the 49ers. Where Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers were really the only two NFC quarterbacks that shined and looked like they were a cornerstone of their franchise aside from Matt Ryan. So I think that that is something that the NFC has got to address in these coming years is... How are they going to be able to keep up with the AFC who now have a plethora of new quarterbacks that are going to wind up taking the charge in this next era of the NFL when it's going to be Mac Jones, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. The AFC has done a good job of trying to make sure they have people in place where they don't have a drastic fall off once this like 2010s group of quarterbacks and players go through the AFC has done a good job of making sure they don't have that initial like fall off with teams and I think that's going to wind up paying out really well for them over the next few years especially in the Super Bowl the Super Bowl is always going to be one of those star-studded quarterbacks that's going to be taking on an NFC quarterback that probably isn't as good but I guess we'll hope and see And now looking up next is the Aaron Rodgers deal. That's four-year, $200 million, making him the highest-paid player in the league. And I just want to ask Green Bay, why? Why did you even draft Jordan Love two years ago if you were going to sign Aaron Rodgers long-term? Like, I get that he may have went, and that's why you wanted to get him. But why waste a first-round pick on, well, he might leave, because ultimately he wound up staying. You guys wound up signing him to a long-term deal. And now it's going to be six years that Jordan Love is going to be in the NFL until he finds action. So I really didn't understand why, unless you guys trade him. Now, if you trade him, he probably has an okay trade value right now. Just because quarterbacks are one of those things that's going to be in high demand. 
come the next year or two that teams are going to be wanting to throw players and pieces at. That way they can solidify their position at quarterback. But even then, Jordan Love hasn't seen action in an NFL game at all. So that severely affects his market value with that. And now looking forward after this deal, what is Lamar Jackson's contract going to look like? Because I know they have to get a deal done before they play the season. And now if I'm if I'm Lamar Jackson, I'm looking at that deal and I'm saying, hey, yeah, he's won the past two MVPs, but he's this has really set the bar for quarterback salaries coming up into the future. And if I'm Lamar Jackson, I'm saying I want to get paid almost as much as he is or else I'm walking and a team is going to give me that amount of money. And it gives quarterbacks this kind of economic freedom to kind of choose where they want to go and what teams they want to play on because a lot of these teams are willing to break the bank for a quarterback right now. And you have your Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. I think that those two are going to be two of the highest paid players here in five years when their rookie contracts run up. Now, I don't think the Bengals are going to pay Joe Burrow as much as the Chargers are going to give Herbert because Burrow, I think, is going to be one of those dudes that is willing to take a pay cut for the team to make sure they're all good, they all get paid. He seems like a really good team player from what I've seen of him so far. But I think the Chargers are going to wind up paying Justin Herbert an enormous amount of money that they're going to wind up regretting. And, I mean, that's nothing against Justin Herbert. He's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL come three, four years from now, maybe even the top five quarterback. But I think that the Chargers are going to break the bank on Justin Herbert and go all in on him where he's going to wind up, I think, getting paid more than Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are. But we'll see in time where that goes. But I think that that contract really resets the quarterback marketplace again after just two years ago, Patrick Mahomes wound up with his 10-year, $500 million contract. Moving on to MLB, when it comes to the MLB, the lockout, We've now lost two weeks of games with the MLB lockout. And I just really need to understand why the owners and the players really aren't in a hurry to get a deal done. It doesn't seem like it seems like they're just waiting on the other to give in to whatever demands they have. And I think it's just silly that they can't come up with an agreement for us fans to be able to watch baseball. The only thing that... The two sides can agree on is coincidentally banning the shift in the game, which if you don't know what a shift is, basically it's where the outfielders and the infield for the team that isn't hitting will be able to move players around according to how the player that's about to hit hits the ball. Like if they have a tendency to hit towards right field or hit deep, they'll bring out another outfielder or they'll move somebody from the infield out there. To kind of help them in case there's a long ball that goes on. Or if they have a tendency to hit to the left, you might shift a lot of players towards the left. You see that a whole lot with right with uh, left-handed batters to where they usually are able to get that ball off farther towards left than they are right. And it helps if the defense is able to put as many people on the left side of the field as they possibly can. Now, why is that a big deal if they ban it? is you're basically taking away the defensive freedom to do whatever they want really and set up how they want to and i really don't know i don't understand why that's being viewed as a bad thing as a defensive player you're supposed to be able to align your players however you want them to your advantage and it's going to play into i think that ultimately that this is going to lead 
to what the MLB is trying to do is cater to younger fans and try and speed the game and try and get more offense in there. That way they can hit the ball more, they can score more to make it more, quote-unquote, interesting for younger fans. Because they think that's the way to go with this newer generation of fans is basically we're just going to hit home runs and that's what people are going to come here to watch. Which simply, as a baseball traditionalist, I really hate that concept of it. And that's not to say that I think baseball will die altogether, but there's, there isn't enough action for future generations. And what I mean by that is we're seeing this whole new generation of kids growing up with all these attention deficit disorders, ADD, ADHD, and all this. Just because, And I think that social media plays a big part in that because you eliminate patience whenever you have everything at the touch of your hand. And this newer generation doesn't understand that that wasn't always available, so they can't comprehend not being able to have everything like that and whenever they want it at their fingertips. So what this creates is these kids that are like, well, there's not enough action going on in an MLB game. I'm just watching a pitcher for 30 seconds right before he throws the ball, and that's the only action I'm getting. And it's not the 30 seconds that it takes for a pitcher to wind up and throw the ball isn't worth the at most 10, 15 second action that comes from it, even at the best case scenario. And I mean, as I said, I think that ultimately that type of mentality and kids losing patience is going to lead to the imminent downfall of the MLB. Now, as I said, it's not going to go away altogether. We're still going to have those people that play it, those people that watch it and all this, but... It's a quote that I've said a lot of times is that baseball might be America's pastime, but basketball is America's future time because basketball is something that constantly always has action going on. From start to finish, your eyes are going from one end of the court to the other end of the court. You're always entertained by what is going on in front of you. And I think that that's going to cater to these ADD and ADHD kids who don't have the time or the patience to deal with watching baseball. I think that it's something that the MLB is really going to have to tackle. I don't know how they should tackle it. I don't know if there is a way to tackle it. It might just be something that just naturally occurs, and there might not be a fix for it. And I think I want to leave here today talking about how disappointed I am with Calvin Ridley, who's, if you don't know, is wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. He took uh, what he called a mental break, from the NFL and probably halfway through the season. And like uh, at first I was like, well, I understand it. Uh, we always, we all, we all kind of have a mental kind of breakdown at some point, some way. There's probably a lot of pressure on him being in the NFL, just like everybody else. But then reports came out two days ago that while he was taking his mental break, Calvin Ridley was bet on a few Falcons games upward of $1,500 in a parlay. And I just want to ask Calvin Ridley why. Like, I understand if you wanted to do that, but why wasn't you just, like, up front with the management with the Falcons instead of just telling them, hey, I need to take a mental break to go down and party in Miami? Because, I mean, you've been having the time of your life on that Miami boat that you've been on since you left. And I just want to say I'm disappointed in you. And I think that just about does it for, the, for this episode of the Post Buzzer Podcast. Be sure to listen to us on SoundCloud or wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll see you next week.